At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to SI Media with Jimmy Train, and thanks for listening. This is a special uh, best-of episode. We're going to be rolling these out periodically. This is in addition to our weekly Thursday podcast. Nothing changes this is a bonus episode. We still will come out with a new, fresh episode every Thursday morning. But every now and again, we're going to roll out these periodic best ofs. And this episode is going to be the best of play-by-play broadcasters. You're going to hear from, among others, Joe Buck, Brent Musburger, and Jeff Van Gundy, plus others who have been on SI Media with Jimmy Trina, and uh, some of the best conversations we've had, little snippets from several of those play-by-play guy. So that's what's going to be on this episode right here, right now. I had Nance on this podcast uh, the week after the Masters when Tiger won. And I had never had him on before. I met him a couple of times at NFL, CBS NFL events, and he was always extremely nice to me. Um, And he was nice enough to come on the podcast after Tiger won. And he was on for about an hour, and I thought he was tremendous on the podcast. I, I was just he he gave a take on everything he was he was opinionated he's what you want in a guest and the the reaction from listeners was fascinating because a, a lot of people agreed with me the numbers were good very very good for it and a lot of people thought he came off as arrogant egotistical or, or whatever and it's it's just amazing how people can hear the same exact thing get all these different takeaways from it I, now maybe because i'm sort of in this business i sort of in my head, if you're on TV, you're going to have an ego. It's a matter of how big it is, but there's going to be some ego there. You just have to. And um, it's I It's funny, though, Jimmy, because, I, and I agree with you, you know, I get that too. And right. the woman that I ended up marrying initially when I was uh, trying to get her number and going through Rich Eisen because mm-hmm. Michelle worked the NFL Network, her mm-hmm. reaction was, oh, not him. He seems like such an arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> and Rich was like, "Why do you, why don't why do you say that? He's a great guy. He's a nice guy. He's one of my best friends." And 
in the business at least. And uh, she said, you know, I don't even know. I've never heard one bad thing about him from anybody who knows him, but it's just the perception I get from a national car rental commercial he did. Uh, right. And you just never know what people perceive as arrogance. And so when I, if I do go on Twitter and I see a lot of that, you know, oh, he's just a smug, arrogant guy or right. whatever, you almost just laugh at it because none of those people know what I'm about at all. It's the reason why I wrote, wrote my book, I think, more yeah. than anything else, is to try to get out there who I really am or go on your podcast or mm-hmm. go on with Stern. But, you know, I think the best thing I got from being my dad's son and getting into this business was I saw a guy that, you know, said hi to everybody. There's nobody that he worked with at CBS that hasn't come up to me that has said anything but glowing things about my father. Right. And, and it's the greatest gift that he gave me because I, I was always around it as a kid and I never felt like that was the finish line becoming a, a big league announcer. I was doing it at 21 and I, I, that, so it felt normal. And then it was like, well, if it's normal, then be a good guy while you do it. And I saw my dad do that when I was a little boy. I saw him do that when I was a teenager. I saw him do that when I was a man and a father and a husband. Right. And, and he never changed. And he, he said to me when he dropped me off in Louisville, when I was doing my first year at AAA, we drove up together from Florida after spring training. And he said, you know, here's a couple of things. Nobody cares that you're doing the game. They don't care that I'm doing it. He said, one day I'm going to (laughs) die. Maybe I'll die in the booth. And two guys will be walking in downtown St. Louis and say, oh, uh, did you hear Jack Buck died in the booth last night? And the other guy will go, oh, wow, that's too bad. Did the Cardinals win? (laughs) And and that's how people think. You know, they don't care about the announcer for the most part and don't act like they do. And well, you're going to be okay. I I would push back on that a little bit from this standpoint. Your dad and and that generation didn't have to deal with the internet, and I think because of the internet, not just the internet, but also, you know, the fact that we have five thousand cable stations and everything. We know the announcers more personal, like even just you telling that story about how you know meeting your wife through Rich Eisen. We didn't know that about the generation before in terms of announcers. We see you guys in so many other places, whether you, you know, you might be on, um, you know, you had your own show on HBO and there's always, you know, Nance and you do commercials. So I feel like it's, it's such a different time from when they did games. They, the, when your dad called games, I bet people heard him call a game and never saw him again outside of those three hours when he called the game. Whereas now everyone has this, even if you're not on social media, you still have, a presence because of just the world we live in now and technology. Yeah. And you know, a couple things about that. When my dad had those two years with Tim McCarver and was broadcasting the world series on CBS with, with Tim. And that was right after, uh, Brent Musburger was fired. Otherwise my dad was going to be doing the number two game with Jim Cott. And Mm. I think life would have been a lot easier, but my dad was kind of a fish out of water was, uh, was working with somebody who was kind of the toast of the network. And it, it was not the Cardinals broadcast anymore, even though my dad had done, you know, thousands of national broadcasts on radio and some on TV earlier, he got blasted by Rudy Martsky, who was the main USA Today critic. Mm-hmm. And, and basically you know, his two-year deal with a two-year option was canceled after two years. 
because people thought he was awful on TV. And and I, I saw that as a kid, and it, it broke my heart because it was kind of like his walk off the main stage when he was in his mid-60s. And he got letters from people, but they were handwritten letters. He got nasty phone calls or had a footprint on his pillow in, in Pittsburgh when he made a comment during a Pirates game those right. two years when he was working with Tim. He got a little bit of a taste of it, but for the most part, his life and his career was not with the same kind of scrutiny that we have. And, and I think a lot of that scrutiny, be it Twitter or whatever, it kind of if you dive into all that, it can take the personality right out of you. Right. So my dad was known for his personality. Harry Carey was Harry Carey because of his personality. They weren't the most politically correct guys. I don't know that they could have existed or been themselves in today's world. That doesn't say I'm, that's not me saying that it was better back then at all, or they didn't make mistakes. That's not my point. Right. My point is now it's harder to have a personality and just be you because you feel like you're on trial every time you open your mouth. And that's, that's a, that's yeah. why there's so few guys doing it because it's hard to jump through those hoops and, and protect your network and yourself on a live event, it's it's yeah. just not that easy anymore. And it's it's everyone. I mean, I you know, just me writing a daily column. I feel like I'm one word away from you know, could all go away. Every if you have any sort of public forum, where it's you're at the point now where one word, one sentence, it it can all disappear. It's it's a totally it can. Different, and and yeah. when I wrote about that in my book, I got interviewed by you know doing a press tour and. Somebody in New York said, you know, well, you, you reference a, a story your dad told on the air one time. Are you saying that that, that was a better time? And and I said, no, that I'm, I'm just all I'm saying is it's a different, different time. Yes. And if you if you pulled those people back, you know, now from the dead and dropped them <laughs> into a booth now and they did what they were doing back then, eventually. Right. right. And you didn't tell them the surroundings or kind of the 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 nature of what we're doing or, or the hoops we have to jump through. Eventually they get themselves into serious trouble. And, and some of that hurt my dad when he was doing the national games, but, but it has shifted entirely. And you're right. You know, whether you're writing a column or you know, Todd doing a game or uh, whatever you might be doing, I really have to be careful right. and you have to, you have to try and figure out how something you say can be perceived, even if it's not intended that way. Right. And and that's a hard way to talk live about an event. Right. Absolutely. That well, that, yeah. Live TV. That's that's the other issue. And where sports, you're in more of a tightrope because it is live. Um, let let I want to talk about a couple of lighthearted things here because you're always good with this stuff. But speaking of you know things you said that you may regret and things could, that could get you in trouble. You, you had a just a, a an enormous faux pas that we have already discussed on this podcast back in January, but you botched the name of one of the great living actors, Mark Paul Gosseler. Uh, you have it down now? We're good there? I know he came on and did a bit, but yeah. that's all straight Wait, out. Wait, did you see one of the great American actors? Yes. That, yeah. how you, yes. Uh, he's become a good friend, so he's got to turn <laughs> negatives into positives. <laughs> uh, and, and in this case, I got his number somehow, and I said, look, I, and I had said it a few times. When I did it during a playoff game, possibly, whenever I did it, or it was a big game, maybe a Thursday night game and a big crowd, 
uh, I said Gosselar. Right. And so he and I ended up talking on the phone, and I said, so here's what I said. He goes, you know what's funny is that's actually how my name is pronounced. But right. because so many people botched it, uh, I guess it's Dutch, it's Hoselar, and not and not Gosler, but I, so I, I was just trying to be true to his roots. That's all. I, I was trying to get it right, and uh, the rest of the world has been getting it wrong. Well, you know what? What I thought was. Uh... I'm glad that got all cleared up. Uh, that was fun, though. That was yeah. definitely fun back then, and uh, he did a funny thing on one of the games. You know what? I, what, what was the other? Uh, you and Nance together was a big U.S. Open story, and then another story which was huge for me because I wrote about it, and I remember the numbers on that column being tremendous. Your colleague Joel Klatt did an interview with Kepka, who revealed that in his entire life he has never once had a hot beverage—coffee, tea, hot chocolate. Never. And he said, because he grew up in Florida. I, I, I just, to me, I just can't wrap my brain around that revelation. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, maybe he said it and now he's going to go down the line with it and not take it back. But I just, no hot shot. No, I mean, just because he grew up in Florida. I yeah. was born in Florida. Uh, I've, I've had plenty of hot drinks. I, I just, I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> even though Brooks and I have had our moments, yes. I consider him somebody that uh, that I, I really enjoy, and uh, I, I think he's smart, and I think he's somebody that that is pretty honest. And sometimes that gets him in trouble. In this case, I think I, I just I don't believe it. I don't care how many times you, he would tell me, even if it wasn't on TV. That's, think, that's BS. The guy travels for a living. He's never been in a cold climate. Needed a little. And first of all, I mean the tragedy of going your whole life and never enjoying a hot chocolate. I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for the guy too. <laughs> and uh, I live on coffee. If coffee was right. taken off the face of the planet, I I would go with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. If when when you get that addiction to it, I mean, if I don't have a cup by, like I'd say maybe one two in the afternoon, if something's going on, the headache I get is so extreme, and that's not good. But when, it's not good. Yeah. I, I, well, I have now. I'm, I'm fifty, and I've got one year old twin boys. You need it. Uh, I, I yeah, I just need a, a some sort of a pick line to uh, to get that into my system. Yeah. Here's Brent Musburger from January of 2019. I got to ask you this before we turn to the game, because I've written sure. about this this week, and it's, it's amazing to me, and I got to get your opinion on it. You spent a lot of years at CBS, the NFL Today, the, with the great Irv Cross, Jimmy the Greek, Phyllis, everyone remembers it. And CBS has, has been adamant. They've put out statements. I, I actually talked to Sean McManus on a conference call this week that they will not mention betting in any way, shape, or form, whether it's lines, over-unders, even referring to it, joking about it at all on Super Bowl Sunday during the game and in their pregame show. Now, I mean, personally, I think it's ridiculous, but I, you, you, you don't want to maybe get into it during the game. Nance and Romo have enough to do, but you have like a seven-hour pregame show, and there's so much fun you could have with the props and all that. What, what do you make of that CBS decision? Saying They said it's their policy not to discuss sports betting. Oh, well, Jimmy, I think it's completely foolish on uh, CBS's part because they had a chance, as you pointed out, with the pregame show going as long as it is. Uh, they missed an opportunity to take a camera and have a shot over from one of the places where they bet in New Jersey. 
because there has been so much money going uh, through the tunnels or over the bridge over there to make a bet. My goodness, uh, fans who go to the Giants or the Jets game uh, can bet at the Meadowlands and then go on over to the game. That's a story. Whether or not you approve of it is irrelevant. That's a story. Mm -hmm. And you want to see how many people are lined up over there, the interest in gambling. Uh, no, no news division uh, worth anything would ignore that because it is part of the buildup. Now, you're afraid of a phone call from the commissioner's office on Monday? You have to deal with things like that. You're a big boy. You pay billions of dollars for that. Uh, people who bet, or even if they don't, they are very interested in who those analysts in the pregame show think will win and what will the final score be. And that's a pretty easy thing to do. You don't have to linger on the gambling technology, but, but or in the terminology and things like that. Uh, but it is stupid on their part. Listen, I understand during the game, I, I got that completely, that uh, you don't need uh, Romo and Nance uh, going on about the gambling because that's not the most important thing. However, in the fourth quarter, and believe me, I've known Nance for a long time. He knows exactly what those numbers are. Huh. Uh, his late father knew them, too, because I know this. So that he should keep an eye on the 57, uh, whatever the over-under closes at. Uh, he doesn't any longer have to be cute about it. But once they hit a 60, uh, he should be willing to say, and that makes a lot of folks very happy and some others unhappy. That's all you have to say. That's all you need. Those right. of us who participate, and you, and you go on about your business. It, it is far from the biggest part of a Super Bowl. I get it. But it's real. It's happening. And you're sticking your head in the sand if you're an executive, and you don't at least address it. And there should be part of the pregame show. In fact, the last hour should show some of the crowds in New Jersey because it's coming. It's coming. It ain't slowing down. Despite the fact that the uh, leagues are trying to backdoor it federally. Sorry. I'm sorry, but that ship has sailed and states rights is what it is. And the Supreme court ruled in favor of New Jersey. Uh, you think you're going to stop gambling on sports in the state of Nevada? Uh, here's a memo. That's not going to happen, okay? So you have to live in the present, and CBS is ignoring it, and shame on them. I, I, and I, you hit the nail on the head. I'm not looking for Jim Nance and Tony Romo to, to, do, to mention the line for three hours or mention the total for three hours. But, um, you know, like you said, when the game hits an over— you throw in a little line there. I think last week, um, or two weeks ago, whenever with the with the uh, Patriots Chiefs, that game going over after being fourteen nothing at halftime, uh, easily could have been a mention. And I think there's the angle of also you could have you know Tony Romo make it, cracking a joke here if Gladys Knight hits the over under on the national anthem would would be a hit with with people watching the game. Now, we're not asking you to do a full analysis, but. You know, if Gladys drags it out and we go over the over the time there, let me hear Tony say something about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know me. I uh, a long time ago, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Okay, so uh, it is what it is, and it, that game would not be as big as it is today without gambling through the decades on the National Football League, okay? And everybody everybody with a brain knows that. Yeah. I mean, I drive by a stadium rising from the desert ground every day. 
the National Football League putting the Raider franchise into Las Vegas, and you are less than 15 minutes away uh, from a half dozen different sports books that I know of where you'll be able to bet on the game and then, and then go into it. So you cannot ignore what's happening. It's just that they brought around, they brought about a controversy that didn't need to be there. Uh, they could have answered it. So uh, yes, of course we will uh, refer to the legalization of gambling on games in, in precincts other than and Nevada. We're not going to make it the biggest part of our pregame. We're not going to be biggest part of our game, but our folks will be well aware. End of sentence. Next question, please. But instead, they want to bring this controversy upon themselves uh, for whatever reason. Okay, so good luck to them. It's even more jarring when you think about the fact that it's the network of the great Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. Now they're afraid of sports betting. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, that's, yeah. when we brought the Greek aboard, I'll never forget the meeting we had over lunch with uh, the then commissioner, uh, the late great friend of mine, Pete Roselle. And um, Pete, at the end of the lunch, you know, he was fully, listen, he used to go to the racetrack all the time with, uh, with the Mara families and the Rooney family. So I knew that he knew a lot about gambling. Uh, and uh, he said, Jimmy, I, can I ask you one favor? And, of course, the Greeks said, uh, yes, yes, uh, Commissioner, what, what would you like? He said, would you please not use the threes, the sevens, the tens, <laughs> the three and a half? And so, of course, the Greek and, and there were Bob Wessel was there with me. We we agreed, but then on the way back, we walked back uh, from the lunch back to the CBS offices, and the, and so the Greek said, "Now what the hell are we going to do?" And so uh, Bob said, "Let let us think about this a little bit." And he and he brought in uh, Bob Fishman and Mike Pearl, who were the uh, director and the producer of the uh, of the initial season of the Greek. And, and that's how we all came up with the checkboard so that, okay, we won't say the numbers, but if the Greek lines up four or five checks on that one side, people will know he's got blowout city. Really, you know? And so that's how we, that's how we got around with it. And, uh, and the Greek would pick winners and, uh, and we had, and we had great fun with it somewhere, somewhere in my garage. I've still got one of those old checkboards, uh, checkboards around with it oh i love and, uh, you should fun. you should take a picture of that and put it on twitter i know you have the twitter account there take a picture of that and put it on twitter for sure <laughs> here's jeff van gundy from july of 2020 the highlight of quarantine and the pandemic for sports fans was the last dance on espn um did you watch it not a second uh, you know, it's funny because I had a feeling that was going to be your answer because obviously you lived through it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, those, those, you know, I, listen, this ends up becoming like this whole big thing. But, uh, you know, the NBA back then was a totally different animal and for me, a much more enjoyable animal. But it, it's they announced the Emmy nominations today and uh, The Last Dance got three Emmy nominations. So I saw that and wanted to bring that up to you. Um, I heard it was very well done. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I, I lived it. I, I knew the results uh, of those games, and I knew about his greatness. So, yeah. like to me, that was nothing of a surprise. Uh, but I do think I'm happy that it was made because younger fans who really didn't get to see him play, obviously live and who probably wouldn't take the time to go back and watch full games, 
could see in short snippets just how great he was. And, you know, like when you see highlights of this guy, when you think about what he was able to do and the efficiency he was able to play with, when the rules back then were more slanted or tilted towards the defense than the offense, and today it's just the opposite, uh, the rules of the game are more slanted towards the offense than the defense. And when you think about uh, not having as much room because the three-pointer wasn't shot with the same uh, amount of the sheer numbers, but also you didn't have all these shooters on the floor for space. And then the level of contact that he had, he had to play through yeah. and him playing 82 games a night for young people to see and for older people – to see, like myself, even though I didn't watch it, to be reminded of his greatness, I, I think is is terrific because he was in in my time, uh, in my era, uh, just the difference maker. You know, you could play, you know, a great game, and you're coming down to the end, and time and again, he would be the difference in these close games, and. Um, uh, I have so much respect for him as a player and as a competitor. Yeah, one of the best things for me, and uh, I'm sure the people who are like 25 and under who who proclaim to be diehard NBA fans were shocked at. I mean, when they showed the old clips of him playing the Pistons and the Knicks, I mean, those teams just, I mean, they beat the living shit out of him on the court. You know, that's how the game was played. I mean, it just was, and it's a completely different time now. Um that was fun to go if back and watch that, those clips. Jimmy, if you did that today to like uh, oh, yeah. Steph Curry, you might be arrested <laughs> in, in Golden State and ushered out. I mean, it, the amount of like the physical contact and, and the one that I just remember, and it wasn't against Jordan, but it was John Starks basically tried to behead Scottie Pippen. I mean, <laughs> today it would be ejection, suspension for 10 games. Right. I think it was just called a common foul. You know, it's just like, yeah, get up and make your free throws. And that level of contact day after day, year after year, that Jordan played 82 games and huge minutes goes directly to his toughness, mental and physical toughness, his level of conditioning, and his competitive spirit. And, um, you know, we there were a number like I, I I have that same amazement level when you talk about Carl Malone mm-hmm. and John Stockton, how few games they missed. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing. Yeah, and Patrick for the next Patrick Ewing. I mean, that was I've always said I feel like he's the most underappreciated New York athlete of my lifetime because Patrick Ewing gave one hundred percent every single night of every game he played in his career, and you know, in the NBA, that's not always the case. Well, I would say this. Um, It wasn't just the games. It was practice as well. Uh, When your best player is as committed as Patrick was to winning, and we had an incredibly committed group, um, we fell short. But those players, led by Patrick, all always in my heart consider them champions because they gave every single thing they had to trying to win a championship. Unfortunately, as Pat Riley often would say, some teams are just born at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And we were born in that Jordan 
yep. era, and we were great. And, um, you know, we just didn't have a guy who could go get a shot off the dribble. Uh, you know, Alan Houston came later in Patrick's mm -hmm. career, yep. and he was that first guy that we had that could go get his own uh, own shot. So, yeah, I, I will always admire those Nick teams uh, because literally no team invested more to trying to do the right things that let, lead to winning a championship than those teams. It was an honor every day in my 13 years in New York to deal with those players uh, and with those coaches because the commitment level was off the chart. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's a little bit more of an appreciation as time has gone on. I, so let me, I just want to get you to say it. So why did you not watch the last dance one second of it? Were you tempted? Did you, what was your mindset about that? Well, it wasn't anything, you know, I mean, I, I love Madam Secretary. So if I was going to choose, I'm going to watch Madam Secretary. But I, I think, again, living through that, I mean, there were some great moments against the Bulls, and there were some, you know, incredibly disappointing moments. Uh, I, ch I choose not to watch, you know, game five, uh, B.J. Armstrong's uh, three, Charles Smith getting fouled. Um, you know, I, I choose not to watch that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I love watching old Nick games at times. And, but as far as that, I knew what a great player Jordan was. I knew how great a team they had. Uh, Phil Jackson, a brilliant coach. Uh, so I didn't feel that, you know, there was no desire to watch. But I heard it was great. And so many people... I think benefited from seeing Jordan's greatness, uh, even if it was in short snippets, uh, but to really understand what a great player and what a phenomena the Chicago Bulls were back mm. then. But you didn't want to watch it all. Um, I had no desire. When I say negative desire, that's where it was. Gotcha. I, I, you, you said Phil Jackson was a great coach. I, I've said this to you, I think, before when you were on the last time, but I will say it again. You calling him Big Chief Triangle is one of my favorite moments in Nick's history. Um, the, uh, this is why I asked about the last dance and I'm going to tie it into LeBron. I love the even though, even though I was a diehard Nick fan back in those days and it was so painful to relive it, I, I love the last dance. From a media perspective, it was very well done and, you know, like the old clips and all that stuff. The... What I hated about the last dance, that there was one thing I hated about it, is it then became used in the Jordan-LeBron argument. Like when it would air every Sunday night, you'd have people saying, oh, LeBron could have never done this, or LeBron hasn't done this. And I, I, hate, I hate the Jordan-LeBron argument, and, I, and the last dance was then used as a way to sort of knock down LeBron, which I find preposterous. I wanted to get your opinion on that. Not to bore you with my sayings, but... <laughs> Comparison is the thief of joy. And whenever you go through these sophomoric, like comparative arguments, who's better when you're talking about the all-time greats, I'll give you first choice and I'll be happy with the second choice. And anybody trying to knock what LeBron James has done, uh, 
is it's it's just foolish. It's utter foolishness. He not only is he the great player that we see, and he's gonna he can lead, actually end up being the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and it not be his best quality as a player, which is remarkable mm-hmm. in that you know his passing is by far his greatest skill. Right. But I just find like how he's lived his life, like why would we be trying to take away from uh, a man who not only has accomplished so much on the floor, but he's lived this life of, in many ways, just he, he, he's such a giver of his resources uh, to help others. And I think we should be applauding that. Right. So I, I don't like all these comparisons. Um, because they're both just in their own era. They're both the dominant player of their time. Here's Al Michaels from September 2020. You mentioned ABC. I wanted to reminisce with you for a bit because everyone associates you obviously as an NFL announcer, Miracle on Ice. But for me, as someone who grew up in the 80s, big baseball fan, I'm getting such a huge kick out of the fact that there's afternoon day baseball playoff games on ABC this week. And you called. Tell me. I was going to look it up, and I said, I'd rather Al just tell me. How many years did you do baseball with ABC? Who did you work with? I know you worked with Howard a little bit there, but like, what was your baseball ABC career? So I was doing the San Francisco Giants in 1976. I had done the Cincinnati Reds for three years. I went to San Francisco, did the Giants. So in 76, ABC starts Monday Night Baseball. Right. And they needed an announcer, a play-by-play man, to do the B game, the second game. They'd already hired Bob Prince to do the A game. Uh, I got hired to do the B game. So I would do the Giants six days a week, fly to the Monday game. So that was my first year with them. Uh, even though I was a a freelance guy. So they then signed me full-time. I leave the Giants. I go to ABC in 1977. I did every year of Monday Night Baseball, all of it through 1989. So I did – it was 76 to 89. So you had 14 seasons, and Mm -hmm. I ended it with the Earthquake World Series. So I did did 14 years of of that, and then the Baseball Network came back in 94, 95. Right. And I did the World Series in 95, split it with Bob Costas and NBC. So who did I work with? My original crew in 76 was Bob Gibson and Norm Cash. And then full-time in 77, I started to work with any number of people. Howard Cosell probably did about 50 games with Howard through the years. Bill White, former Yankee announcer, uh, great player. Lou Brock did a game with Mark the Bird Fidrich. Um... did games with and then and then Jim Palmer was starting to think about retirement so we brought Jim in we brought Tim McCarver in and by the way when I talk about teams that I've worked with McCarver and Palmer I loved that combo three three man booths are are not easy as you know but with McCarver and Palmer we just had a blast and we all I just got a, a text from Jim last night in fact a great time with those guys just great and um uh, we would bring in other people. Steve Stone was another guy who I, I helped break into the business. So uh, we had a mishmash, but right. uh, a lot of those people went on to, to do some pretty good things. 
And then I, re- I remember, maybe because I'm in New York, I remember 86 vividly with the Mets and Astros because it was a legendary series. And Keith Jackson called those. Did you do any of those games? Any Mets? Oh, no, 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 I, I did you Boston and the Angels. Right, that's which, right. Which, which, the Donnie was, Moore. Right. Oh, that was as good as, to yeah. me, my favorite baseball game ever was game five of the 86 playoffs where Dave Henderson keeps it alive with a home run. Yeah. Angels tie the game in the bottom of the night. They can win, they can win the pennant. They got Grich and they come up. With the bases loaded, they, they can't get them in. Uh, Red Sox win it in 11, go back to Boston, win, you know, games six and seven. So the Mets-Astros series was fantastic. And Keith did that with McCarver. And then I did Angels-Red Sox with Palmer. But when people say to me, you know, give, give me your five greatest events. I mean, hockey is number one. That's on a, a, a shelf by itself. But that baseball game is, yeah. is right up there yeah. in the top five. That's pretty. How about that though for ABC in '86? Al Michaels calling the ALCS in the and then and then Keith calling the NLCS for the same. Now that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's good stuff there. Uh, Eighty, yeah, '86, and then and no series too. Red Sox, Angels, oh, and then and right. Astros, Mets, or just on NBC. Yeah, that was fantastic. The whole thing. Can't say I ever. Th- I never thought I'd see baseball playoff on network television in the afternoon again. Can't believe it's happening this week. Well, you know what? When you think about it, I mean. What are the ratings in the afternoon? I mean, you got some right. soap operas, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't look at the a lot of talk shows. Television in the afternoon. A lot of talk shows. So you know, why not? Throw, you yeah. might as well throw a baseball game in there. You, yeah. you probably get the same rating. You're going to get someplace else. Would you, if, if if the opportunity ever presented itself, let's you know, let's say something happens. Let's say you end up back at ESPN. I know they tried to trade for you again, according to one story. Would you ever want to call baseball again? I loved it, and I say that in, in past tense, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> I, I built I built my career around baseball. Uh, I love you know I wound up you know did the Hawaii Islanders and the Miners, I did the Cincinnati Reds, I did the Big Red Machine, I had Bench and Rosen, Perez and Morgan, I had that team, did the Giants, ABC, and I was really heartbroken when we lost the rights after the '89 season. <clears throat> we got it back. In a, in a kind of a, uh, a funny form in the baseball network years. But I have not done a game since the 1995 game five of the World Series Atlanta-Cleveland. So you're talking about 25 years ago. Yeah. I think, you know, I think to myself, and, and uh, baseball network really did a, a nice job. It was great. My friend you know, Bruce Kornblatt produced it, and they went back and they did my career baseball, and I'm watching this thing, and it was a lot of fun. But I'm thinking to myself, that's some other person. That's a different life. Lifetime, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's some other lifetime. And somebody said, well, how many World Series did you do? Eight. I did eight World Series on national television. So I'm thinking, E. But if I had to go back in and do it right now, Jimmy, I'm too far behind. I'm, you know, I just haven't kept up with it. Right. It's too hard. And, I mean, if you put me in the uh, – in in the in the booth right now, I want to know if you know Koufax was pitching tonight. <laughs> well, what was that whole thing like when there were reports that you were going to get traded to ESPN? Did you were you did you find it funny? Was it true? What, what can you tell me about that? It was very interesting, and I'll tell you what. I mean, this sounds funny, but I got to give Andrew Marshchain of the New York Post a plug because he was he was calling me, and I said, Andrew, you have to understand something. <clears throat> I'm finding out about myself through your column. He was really wired into what yeah. was going on. And I, clearly there was an attempt 
on their part to see if I would be available. Let's put it that way. But, I mean, the irony is sometimes, you know, you're a little bit in the dark because there's stuff going on and you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, to me, I, look, I was under contract to NBC, and right. so I, I really didn't want to be a party to whatever was going to happen. But Andrew had uh, – he had all the goods on it. So I yeah. guess the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, foray into – the potential trade was uh, was uh, squelched, and uh, here I am. Here's Ian Eagle from May of 2020. The timing of this podcast appearance is great because CBS announced today that yep. Charles Davis is officially your new partner. Before I ask you that, I'm going to be honest. I really had you on today for one question and one question only. Have you yeah. done any Zooms with Bill Raftery yet? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I've done have you really? I have. No. I have. Wait, so, wait a second. I, well, I was kidding. How did no, the no, no, Rams no, no. manage the Zoom? Well, he's got an IT person in his house. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into deep specifics, but they they share genes and a bloodline. Okay. And he has help. He has help. So I've done a few with him of the personal variety just to get caught up. Hey, bird, we're Zooming. But we've also done a professional one. Uh, there was a show called CBS Connected on CBS Sports Network and online. And it might be worth checking out. We did one with Tom Izzo and with Bill Self. And the premise of the show was interviewing both of these coaches. And then midway through the interview, there was a Zoom bomb. And with Tom Izzo, it was Steve Smith, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet, uh, works at TNT and NBA TV and has a long relationship with Tom. And for Bill Self, it was Raf. Raf was the one Zoom bombing in. And not to give too much away, if you want to go back and, and check it out, yep. you can go find it. At the end of the interview with Bill Self and Raf, which one do you think left their computer on, even though uh. they left the interview? Well, that's what I was going to say. When you're zooming with Raft is, you know, do we have half his forehead showing? Do we, <laughs> we, yeah. Well, yeah. at first, I must say, it looked like he was doing some kind of deposition in the Zoom. <laughs> like there was some legal proceeding going on. But no, Raft has actually been a constant Zoomer. Uh, we've had a few with CBS personalities that have come together. And I got to tell you, he is okay with the technology. He has figured it out. And I give him a lot of credit. Uh, this, this shows a lot of uh, him opening up his mind to a new world that's out there. Amazing. I love it. That just made my day. And let's day. say now for the 2020-2021 season, if indeed college basketball is played, this could be a whole new call. For Raf, uh, there could be a player going to the rim. Hey, Bird, zooming to the goal. <laughs> oh my God, I cannot. I love it. I love it. Now, do you? So, when you do the personal zooms with Raft, is he enjoying a cocktail at, late at night? And uh, I, I must say that uh, Raf does enjoy a Zoom cocktail. <laughs> yes, that that really doesn't seem to be an issue during this current uh, quarantine. Uh, he, he hasn't decided to uh, to just change that part of his life. He he's embraced it. it. 
It, it does seem like everyone's getting through this with Zoom and cocktails. So why should the raft be any different? Exactly. That's outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I'm glad. And I'm glad. I'm glad he's doing well. That's that's good to hear. Yes. He um, raft on Zoom. Does he drop in onions? Does he drop a lingerie? I mean, the, the, the Zoom is ripe for that, you know, like yeah, with everything know, that funny, goes on. We've gotten to the point in our relationship that he basically asks me to do an impression of him. <laughs> so he doesn't have to do it. So I'm the one that's going with, oh, onions, the blow by, get the puppy set. Just a lot of raphisms over and over. And he cracks up. <laughs> that is tremendous. I'm definitely, I'm going to find that CBS uh, show. I'm going to post that in my car. Yeah, it was cute. It was cute. Yeah, really well sure. done. Um, so like I said, CBS makes it official uh, on Tuesday, Charles Davis joining CBS from Fox. And he goes right into the booth with you as the number two team behind uh, Nance and Romo. Um by the way, uh, let me, let's before we get the, when Ro, when Romo gets you know whatever it is five hundred billion a year or whatever to <laughs> call NFL. Do you send them a text at all? And do you, do you mention that? You know, it's so it's weird. In I'm going to use the air quotes here. Real life, like people don't mention their salaries. Your guys, you know, the top guys, the salaries are out there for public knowledge. So, like, what's the protocol? Is it still rude to mention someone's salary to them, or can you have a laugh with it? Uh, Tony is there definitely a guy you could have a laugh with, and I don't think anybody is laughing at it. He's <laughs> he's figured this stuff out. So, I think it's more of a hey, more power to you, man. Congratulations, truly. I, oh yeah, it's it's incredible and obviously a game changer within the industry. But uh, he changed the game with his approach to the job and his analysis and the fact that he was a superstar very early in the process. You could tell that that he just had a special quality and had the ability to cut through all the layers of this and really connect with the audience. So to me, it's it's a very simple standing ovation, applause to him. Yeah. But was there a humorous text sent to him at that time? or uh, There have been no humorous texts okay. yet uh, with Tony. Right. I, I think Tony realizes how fortunate he is, and uh, he he gets it. He sees right. the, the big picture when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I'm just thinking, while you were speaking, I'm thinking, I, I think Nance recently told my former colleague, Richard Deitch, that if the Masters got moved uh, and was played during the NFL season, he'd call the Masters for that weekend. I guess, I wonder if CBS then would have you do the game with Tony. Would that be something that would appeal to you? Would you look forward to something like that if you had a chance to do a game or two with Tony? Well, if if you're telling me that we're actually going to have games, I'll right. tell you right now, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to sign up for yeah. any of it. But, you know, obviously, I enjoy working with different people. I've always enjoyed that. I've kept a running list throughout my career. I'm I, now I was going to say, I was going to say, have you kept track of I how have. many different? Yeah. Do you well, know how, what the number is? I do. It's 135 different. Wow. Programs. And the only reason I kept it my first year doing Nets TV, I went to lunch with Bill Raftery in Milwaukee. And I said to him, Hey, how many different guys have you worked with? He goes, Oh, Bert, let, let's try to keep track. He took out a <laughs> napkin, literally a paper napkin. And he starts writing down Len Berman, Mike Gorman, Jim Kelly. And he got to a certain number and he just acknowledged at that point. He goes, Oh, I can't remember all of them. 
but it struck me that I was so early in my career that I should keep a running list. And at that point, there weren't many on the list. Yeah. But in the years that have followed, uh, the list has grown rather large. So, uh, yeah, of course, uh, if, if that opportunity presented itself, that that would be great. 135. That's a that's an impressive number, right? Big there. number. Yeah, big, big number, number for sure. So when you get a new partner like you will this year, if we do have football with Charles Davis, I'm curious how much of the responsibility is on you to have him come in and be comfortable and mesh and chemistry and all that. How much is on the producer? How much is on the director? Do you take it all on you? Is it a balance type of thing? What happens when a new partner comes in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the responsibility is shared, but any play-by-play guy worth his salt would tell you a lot of it falls on them because in the booth, that's the dynamic that you can control. Behind the scenes, the week of communication, the time spent together, talking about the game, uh, discussing the storylines and how you're going to attack it. Of course, the producer, the director, Evan Washburn, our sideline reporter. So it's Mark Wolf, it's Bob Fishman, producer, director. And then uh, we have associate directors and broadcast associates, all part of this collaborative process to make somebody feel comfortable and to make the transition smooth. But when the red light goes on as the play-by-play announcer, you've got to go into traffic cop mode and you've got to know that you're setting a tone that hopefully can make your partner feel comfortable to do their best work. And that's always been my viewpoint. I want to put my partner in the position to succeed. I want to make it easy on them. I want to be malleable. I want to be flexible. And I want them to feel that there's trust between us. So let's say the most recent pairing that I had with Turner, with Stan Van Gundy, Stan and I didn't spend a lot of time together. We didn't do 17 rehearsal games together. We did zero. We met, truly met, other than an interview here or there when he was a coach, the day of our first game in a production meeting. And I knew five minutes in that it was going to work. I just Mm -hmm. knew it. I just knew by his personality. I knew by the questions he was asking me. I knew by the fact that he was laughing at some of my lines and my jokes that it was going to be an easy dynamic. I talked to Charles for about an hour a couple of weeks ago, and not specifically how we're going to do this when we're on the air, but just a real honest conversation about ourselves, about family, about our background. And Charles and I knew each other a little bit from seeing one another during our respective travels, but chemistry is formed off the air. And then the translation comes later on the air. So you could do a bunch of rehearsal games. The reality is if you're not bonding off the air, if you're not finding commonality, then you're not necessarily going to be able to transition it to on the air. That's my viewpoint. That's the way I've always looked at it. And that's not going to change. This is going to be very easy. Charles is really good at his job. He studies, he prepares, he's an excellent communicator. He's a wonderful guy. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to sit down and have dinner with, have lunch with, hang with. And that's really the dynamic that you shoot for. You want accessibility for the viewing audience. You want them to feel something when they watch, some connectivity to the the announcers that are calling the game. 
is there sort of like a, you know, a partner like that where you're going to do whatever it is, 17, 18, 19 games? Is it a situation where you, you got to make sure like, all right, let's, you know, let's go to dinner once a week. Let's go to dinner, I don't know, twice a month. Let's let's try to do stuff off the air, you know, on a regular schedule just to keep that going. Or is it you can both just show up on Sunday, do the games, have chemistry, have a good broadcast, and, and that's it? Jimmy, I've had both. Uh, I've had yeah. relationships with my analysts where we hung out a lot and we knew a lot about one another and our families and our backgrounds. And then I've had some relationships where – it wasn't as in-depth, but it still worked on the air. I don't think there's a tried and true way to do it, but I know on a personal level that if you find that common ground off the air, usually people can figure it out on the air that that there is something there. So that would be my main goal. It's better if you get along, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. I think in this case, just knowing Charles, He's just a very affable person. Uh, he's yeah. not a superficial person. He asks a lot about you. He's a natural deflector. So when you meet people like that, that are uh, just authentically curious, that means that they truly care about the questions and answers that they get. So I don't think that's going to be uh, much of a challenge for us. Uh, that's going to mm -hmm. be a very simple part to the relationship hanging out. I do think it's part of it, but you could talk to a hundred different broadcasters and they may have different philosophies on this. It's all based on ultimately what you find that works when the red light goes on and you have three hours to truly cover an event. And that trust is created between the two of you that you've got each other's back and everybody is working on the same page. I'm curious. I mean, you've done play-by-play -play for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of games. Yep. Charles has been the number two guy over at Fox for several years. Do you guys need a practice game or can you jump in and do a game the first Sunday of the NFL season? And give me, is there a difference in terms of doing practice with a new partner, NBA, college, hoops, NFL? Like, is one sport, you would better have a, we better do something ahead of time as a practice game or is one sport or both sports you could go into a cold? What's the difference there? And what about doing a practice game or two? Yeah. In my experience, I haven't had a lot of practice games. Mark May and I were paired together when I got to CBS. We had one practice game and it was a preseason game, Jacksonville against Dallas in Jacksonville. And that was also the game that, that I recall I was down on the field before the game. I'm getting to know Mark May at that point, former Washington Redskin, one of the hogs. He says, hey, come down to the field. Let's uh, check it out. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? We go down there. Who walks by but Jerry Jones and the owner of the Cowboys, big personality. He and Mark May lock eyes. He goes, hey, Mark, how you doing? He says, hey, Jerry, meet my new partner. It's uh, Iron Eagle. He goes, Iron? I said, oh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Iron, Iron Eagle. He says, Iron. I said, no, no, it, it's actually uh, Iron Eagle. He says, Iron? I went, yep. Yep, it's Iron. <laughs> that. <laughs> that, was the, that was the only rehearsal game that we did together. I then get paired with Solomon Wilcots. We did an audition for CBS because Solomon was trying out for the role. I did the audition with him. He got the job. We never did another game until we did our first NFL game together. Next partner I had, Rich Gannon, 
never did a rehearsal game with. We just let it rip on game one and it worked. The next partner I had, Dan Fouts, 10 years together. We did our first game in Nashville. We did no rehearsals. Another mm. one that I knew literally 10 minutes into the game, I said, this is going to work. I just, I could feel it. We had right. just a similar mm. approach and a similar ideal. So there were no rehearsals and they just let us go about our business. Basketball, Richard Jefferson, my most recent analyst on yes, no rehearsal game. Stan Van Gundy, no rehearsal game. Sarah Kustak, no rehearsal game. So it, it really does vary. It, it's based on what your bosses want. Uh, in my case with Charles, if you're telling me right now we had to do a game tomorrow, we could do the game. There's no doubt in my mind. Here's Mike Tirico from December of 2020. It's funny. I'm gonna. I'll pull back the curtain here a little bit, just to give the listeners a little um, inside story here. I when you did the Packers Bears games two two weeks ago, right, right. it was a blowout. I had tweet you. You had said something about, well, if the bear the Bears have the ball here, if they could score, they get the ball in, to start the second half. And I had tweeted right. like, good try trying to keep the audience. And you sent me a message saying, well, they did score on that they first did. drive. They did. Where were you? And I'm just, you didn't get me back. <laughs> I, I'm just curious. So when you're when you're doing games like that where the first half is an, a, just a complete annihilation. Um, how, how demoralizing is that for you? Because I, despite what people think about announcers rooting for teams, all you want is a close game, and then that happens. My, my number one desire in a broadcast in terms of the result of the game, because really you do become agnostic here with so many teams and you know people who you like, people who you get along with, whether it's GMs, team presidents, head coaches, players, all that, they move around, right? Right. Uh, what you want, what you really want, every game, every sport, uh, except for baseball, is the the ball is in the air, the clock says zero, and where it comes down is going to determine who won or lost. Then the viewers weren't cheated, you weren't cheated. It was a fun game, even if it was a bad game, a great ending. A lot of times, it's a great deodorant for a bad game, right? So, like you know, you're you're in the booth for a game like that, and you're absolutely right. You're going, oh man, this this is a bummer because you you don't want to get into all the stuff you've prepared. You prepared a ton of stuff. We had a bunch of stuff for Notre Dame Clemson and got to about 15% of it because the right. game never lulled and it was great. And that's, that's the ideal. That's, that's what you want to do. So uh, you, you kind of look at those things. I always look at who's getting the ball start the second half. I, I've joked on football night the last couple of years, uh, especially in our screening room, like teams going for the full Belichick score the right. touchdown right to the end of the half, get the ball back. Your offense sits on ice for a half hour and you look up and you're 14 points worse than you were when the offense last went off the field. So I'm always thinking about that with teams. Yeah. And that was Chicago's only avenue back into the game yeah. for them. So you're just kind of thinking Do about you, that. But I, I'm sure you echoed what a lot of Bears fans felt. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did it in just, <laughs> but it's, but it is, you know, I, I sort of, I, I always watch these games. You know, you did it in a way I thought was was fine. But you know, what I always watch was like, I don't want announcers to insult the audience and act like, you know, right. I mean, there's still a lot of that that goes on. You know, I was watching a game. Should I call it that? What game was it? I think, it, Oh, I know what it was. What was the, it was a CBS college game. It wasn't the, the game they had in the afternoon. It was Tennessee, Florida. Right. And they did the keys of the game when the turnover battle, you're insulting your audience at this point. Like, you know, give us something else here. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what's funny from that bears game. Um, the game was over. And Tony Dungy did the game with me. You know, our Notre Dame group was on that uh, post-Thanksgiving Sunday night game like we were planned to be. And Tony said, 
No, well, if you're the Bears, you want to come out here, you, you want to get a score. It's a fourth quarter. They're losing by 30, right? right, you, right. Get a score and come back out. And, and I honestly did say on the air, really, is that going to help you at all for next week? And it was really interesting to hear a coach's perspective of, yeah, it can lay a little bit of a foundation. And you know what? For the Bears, it did. They came out great guns the first three quarters. And just a reminder for us, sometimes we get uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit sharp, a little bit edgy, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, in complaining mode about games or things like that. But coaches do see it in a different way. They're always trying to build for tomorrow, right. and uh, it did for the Bears. And then they revert. They became the Lions of of twenty twenty with what happened in the fourth quarter, blowing yeah, a double digit lead. Sure. Strange yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was the uh, Bam LSU game Saturday. LSU yeah. was up fifty two to fourteen, and. No, Alabama was up 52 yeah, to 14 right, and LSU kicked a field goal in the second half to me. I'm like, well, what, what, what are we doing here? But coaches we, are, we did, we did Syracuse Notre Dame at Yankee stadium two years ago and Syracuse's quarterback, Eric Dungy got hurt. Notre Dame's blowing them out. And we thought it was going to be a really good game at Yankee stadium, being a New York kid, a Syracuse alum doing the Notre Dame games. It was like, it was Christmas in November. Right. Yeah. And then Syracuse getting shut out. They kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter. I'm like, Oh, come on. Take the bagel and move on, man. It's, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Right. <laughs> so it's funny. I, Cause I was going to ask you, and we'll get into, cause you've been busy during quarantine and you've got some games coming up, but I, I it was funny because I thought of off that bears Packers game that you called with Tony a couple of weeks ago on Sunday football. I wanted to know, You've been doing this a long time. Best game you've ever called. Worst game you've ever called. Worst game I ever called was the three nothing Steelers Dolphins Monday night in the mud in Pittsburgh, where the punt stuck right at like the forty eight yard line. Uh, that I was, don't remember that game. You don't remember the? Oh, it was a, it was a brutal, brutal Monday night game. Yeah. We were looking at a scoreless game. It was a, a terrible game. They had played the high school playoff games, as they often do at Heinz Field. The grass mm-hmm. field was really bad. It was a monsoon of rain. And, like, emblematic of the game, Kornheiser and Jaws were in the booth with me. And uh, Pittsburgh punted. I think it was Pittsburgh punted. And the ball just stuck, like, right nose up in the field. And it was emblematic of the, the night, the field, the quality of the game. That, that was the worst game I did. So the final was 3 nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Pittsburgh, what, what- Miami, a Monday nighter. What quarter was? Do you remember what quarter the field goal? Late. It's fourth quarter. Yeah, it's fourth quarter. Okay. Towards the end of the game. So yeah, was, you had some excitement then, at least. It, yeah, it, it was the, the excitement was really was anybody going to score? It was it was that bad. Uh, the best one. I, I don't want to get too jaded by the by the moment, um, but that Notre Dame Clemson game, double overtime in South Bend, number one, 47-40. No lull in the game. Like I said. That, that's up there. I'll tell you like an odd one. It's not always like the biggest matchup games necessarily. We had a Buffalo-Dallas Monday night game in Buffalo where Romo threw a bunch of picks. I remember and, that game, I think. And Nick Folk, then a rookie kicker for the Cowboys, right. hit a field goal, but a timeout was called before the kick. And that was before that was Vogue. It had just happened earlier that year for the first time on an NFL stage where you know, they slam the timeout to freeze the kicker right as he's about to snap it. And then Folk again hits from 52 yards in Orchard Park. And Chip Dean, who directed Monday Night Football in my, my run there, Jay Rothman produced, Chip Dean directed. Chip cut to Jerry Jones, like an all-time <laughs> great Jerry Jones. Yeah! Clinched uh, fist shot. It was, just, uh, it was just a really cool game because the night in Orchard Park was this din – so you mentioned quarantine. They they showed that game back. ESPN aired a bunch of Monday night uh, classics, and there were like three or four 
great games in a row that I was a part, lucky enough to be a part of. Yeah. Like the Saints Monday night return after Katrina, which is my best moment that I've been involved with. But mm-hmm. for a game, it, it's the other one. Yeah. And um, I watched that game and I've since gotten to know Tony Romo a little bit. And well, you know, maybe a couple of times a year, text back and forth. And I texted uh, to Tony. I said, I don't know if you're watching this game. I'm going to apologize in advance for anything bad I said about you. He <laughs> <laughs> was terrible that game. Yeah. And I'm sure Tony had a funny, funny response back to you because Tony got a good. He got back to me with a good laugh and a smile. I was like, "I'll I'll get back to you. I'll let you know after I watch." So it was funny. Here's Joe Tessitore from September 2018. Besides Cosell, who are your favorite announcers? I'm a Brent guy. I love Brent. Keith so you Jackson. you were there you were there the first Monday night game it was uh, Rams Raiders in yeah Oakland. yeah yeah my guy came over to say and hello Brent now doing yeah. the games on the radio he came over looking like part Johnny Cash part Al Davis he was in like a black <laughs> satin leather jacket a black shirt a belt he had black buckle. sunglasses he had black too, right? sunglasses yeah. I was like what is this what are you it was like Brent's living it up honestly. in the desert oh he's like Mr yeah. Vegas oh, so yeah. like if ever there is a job for the late autumn of his career it's this one right here. You know, it's one of those weird things oh. where, like, you know, you're always shocked when someone leaves ESPN. And for Brent to leave ESPN, and, and you know, there's always, who knows, if he left, he was pushed out, whatever, you, you always hear rumbling. But whether he, but to leave ESPN and go to Vegas and start your own He's gambling a, network. And what then, a dude. And then, and then out of nowhere, at, you know, 75, oh. 76 years old, he gets this play-by-play gig with the Raiders. So, I mean, he's an all-timer, isn't he? He's an absolute all-timer. Great story. Um you know, but it's funny. I've be, actually, obviously, we do the same job, mm-hmm. uh, but there were times in our career we worked together, which was a thrill. So when we had the Triple Crown on ABC back right. in the day, and I was the host with Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss, the current Mike Tirico, or what was the Tom Hammond role at NBC. So I had that for six, seven years. Mm-hmm. So we did, you know, all the Derby stuff and the Belmont, the Breeders' Cup, and all that. And Brent had this sort of venerable host. Bring us on the air, bring us in and out of commercial break, which meant for like six days I'd be at the racetrack with Brent. I'm Derby sure you have week, stories. Derby week, this week, Belmont week, Breeders' Cup week. Those reading the racing form with him, having break. I remember the Garden City Hotel, having coffee and breakfast, sitting there at the form with Brent. Night before the Derby, going out with our wives. Oh man! And you want to see him in his element now? So I, keep yes. going. I don't want you to stop yes, the story. I'm a Brent keep... fan. Yeah, I like Brent. I like, I I like a lot of guys, but I, I guess I, I like Brent because there's a, there's a little bit of Brent that that I can easily relate to. Yeah. Sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, need I like a Brent, Keith Jackson. I need a Brent story from the track, though. If you were there for six days with him, I need something. <laughs> no, nah, I, I can't remember. I specific, I'm sure there were some bad beats or some really funny moments and some laddies, but it's just the way he carries. Uh, this yeah. guy's got swag like nobody's oh, yeah. got swag. Hey, so the way he carries himself and the way he talks Brent, is so funny to me. Brent had me on his uh, Vissin yeah. serious radio show last night. He puts me on on Monday nights to talk about prop bets for the Monday night right, game. Right, right. And I said, to, so he has me on with two of his little wise guys, odds yeah, makers, yeah. sharks there. You know, so I said to, you know, so they, they're asking me some questions. I said, I got to ask you guys a question. I said, tell me the books. Did, did anybody have the bills straight up on oh, Sunday? Oh, the Vikings? What was the money line on that? It was like plus 3,000 or plus it's got I don't be. even know what. Right. And, um, like Floyd Mayweather opponent. Yeah. Money line. And uh, one of the guys goes, oh, yeah, someone had the bills straight up. To my and it was Brent. Did he really? Brent had the bills he to win. On that? Yes. Wow. What more do you need to know about when he, Brent? When wow. he joined your podcast, yeah. Bef- this is before he took 
the Raiders job. Yeah. Didn't yeah. you say he should call the Las Vegas Bowl? The, yeah. Well, I yeah, said that's a great call. I said ESPN. Hey, the Las Vegas Bowl is going to be big time now. The conference affiliations right. jumping up. I said, new, will new that be able to happen here. though? Now with his. I, well, yeah. I think yeah. We Ken have to get Joe the on the bandwagon ESPN, here to get him right to call that. ESPN. I said at the time before he had the Raiders gig, ESPN should have brought him out of retirement for one game, and it should be the Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah. I mean, he's there. The Las Vegas Bowl is going to be a great bowl in the coming years. Great when the stadium gets open. They got. I think it's going to be Big Twelve, Pac twelve, right? So it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be a great game. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of points. Um, you, everything's through the prism of over unders with you. you for yeah, <laughs> you got it. Listen, this yeah. is you know this is this is a, this is a business. Um, so you mentioned Keith Jackson as well. I yeah, cut I you love off Keith there. Jackson. Yeah. yeah, who yeah. doesn't love Keith Jackson? Yeah, absolutely. Great. There's a lot of guys. I got a lot of respect for a lot of guys. Yeah, I'm not. You know, um, I like passion based broadcasters. I like you know big moments guys who get so into it that you know I. You know, there's a lot of guys I like. Do you ever? F- it's funny because I had Gus and now you and I. And I admire guys who have talents and and traits and characteristics that I don't have as well. Right. Is being too loud or too over the top ever a concern for you? Well, I just like uh, as long as I'm being authentic, I really don't give a right. You can as say long it. as I'm me. What do I give a right? You well, know? some people say I know that that's a criticism with some announcers that yeah. some announcers are too loud, too over the top. You know, I me, I don't care. I mean, if if. Uh, it's all about, to me, it's all about being authentic. Like mm-hmm. I always explain television this way in terms of using that, uh, of using that as, as, um, you know, the threshold mm-hmm. of, you know, being, or the spectrum of, okay, you're, you're forcing, you're contrived, you're being crazy and you're being authentic is cooking shows for years and years where local access TV, boring as bland as horribly produced things. And why would you watch it? Mm-hmm. You just go right past them. And then somewhere in the nineties, you know, a uh, Portuguese immigrant guy from New Bedford who went down to New Orleans was doing bam and throwing spices. But this is how he talked, and that's how passionate he was about throwing spice on top right. of shrimp. Right. He was authentic. And all of a sudden, we're watching TV shows, and all of a sudden, we got celebrity chefs, right? right. Because Emerald Lagasse was authentic. For and me, it good was TV. Justin, Justin Wilson. With yeah. the red suspenders, the, the Creole guy. Ooh, oh, boy. who's that guy oh, with the yeah, white yeah. mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The glasses. Yeah, I vaguely like, remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was the blue denim authentic. shirt with the red, right. the red suspenders. You, yeah. you put him on if you're TV Italian, though, let's, right. there's only one cooking show right now. I'm going I'm to go totally off. Currently? Yeah. What's currently that you like? Lydia. Oh, well, she's, she's phenomenal. Lydia I mean, son, Joe, you know Joe? I know who he is. I've Joe never Bastianich. met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know where he went to college? Where? Boston. With me, Boston there, College. There, there you go. go. Oh, did Lydia ever cook? Did Lydia ever cook for you? No, Lydia. No, but I love I love the restaurant the up on the upper east side. Yeah, Felidia. No, yeah. Felidia. I love now. Felidia. Wa- the the, yeah. the braised prawns of Felidia with the pesto is tremendous. Yeah. My grandmother used to come over to my parents' house yeah. every Sunday, and we'd all watch. Like it was a. That was what my grandmother had to watch. Lydia's right. Lydia. Lydia. No, she's, she's wonderful. She's yeah. a great cook. So I watch Lydia. Cook. I think of my grandmother. Yeah. It's still like well, Yeah, They're You're yeah. You're nobly tan. I can tell by your she... facial conformation. So am I. So, well, you got a little something in you. Calabrese, you got, dro- no, you got a drop of calabrese. See, mezza calabrese, mezza nabladan. That's me. When was the last time you went to Italy? Well, because of my work, I don't get back the way my mother does. You know, my aunts and uncles live there. My cousins live there. You know, my mother came over in 54. Um, but uh, I, the last time I was there was six years ago, and that's just because of my career. I travel every single week. Right, of course. I, it's nonstop. And then my kids, you know, we dedicate ourselves to whatever is going on with our kids. So this year for a, a big trip... My daughter, uh, my daughter's heavily involved in sports, and she ha- she had a huge international tournament in Asia. So we went to Asia for three weeks this year, wow. which was outrageous. Yeah. Um, which, strangely enough, 
you know, the um, Asian culture is they have a great love of Italian culture, mm-hmm. especially in Hong Kong and actually in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I went into some of the best Italian food I had, some of the best Italian restaurants I went into were in Asia. Wow. And I would walk into these places and I, my wife will tell you it was unbelievable. And a maitre d', a host, somebody would walk up to me and speak Italian, you know, just on sight. Mm-hmm. And there are many, um, there are many Romans and, and Nabalitans, you know, people from Naples over there who are in the food and hospitality industry and some of the best restaurants. I had a wonderful time over there experiencing my right. native in through That's their eyes. Yeah. It was wonderful. A restaurant Tosca in, in um, Hong Kong and a, and a couple others, uh, Otto Meza in Hong Kong and uh, Marini's in Malaysia and mm-hmm. wonderful people. And it was, it was tremendous. So six years ago was your last trip. Yeah, to I was Italy. ordered visiting my aunt and uncle. Yeah, NFL in Italy is it? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. Curious I mean, if yeah. I mean, they get. I, big... I usually when I would go over a more consistent, I'd yeah. be there in March and we'd be watching March Madness yeah. and. I have relatives the international. there. But we don't get into the sports. You know, I have yeah. relatives in Sicily. Oh, really? Yeah, they haven't oh. asked. They were here a couple. They were here about a year ago. Yeah. They did not ask any. I, I should have asked them what how American sports are there if they pay attention to it. The, the only thing they wanted to talk about when they were here was was um, Trump, but I won't get yeah. into that. Yeah, they're fascinated by politics over yes. there. Well, I'm not. Well, I loathe politics. When you have a deranged president, it yeah. causes havoc all over the yeah. country. Um, the I'm curious, what sport have you not called that you would like to call? Oh, that, well, what, what sport I have not called is a long list. What, what sport that I haven't that you called would that I like want to call? Yeah. Um, I mean, my greatest passion is football and boxing and mm-hmm. horse racing, mm-hmm. and I've been blessed enough to uh, to do all three of those at the highest level. Um, NBA, MLB, do you have any no, any desire? Uh, MLB, <laughs> when I tell you, not one speck or ounce of desire mm-hmm. ever. I grew up a baseball fan, going to Yankee Stadium, and then Shea in the '80s, and you know all that, and zero interest whatsoever. Too boring. There is not a major sport in America that aligns less with me than Major League Baseball. Too much downtime, too slow. Bro, you've spent, I mean, if you know me, for it is not me at all. At all. Right. Um, would, would you, will you watch? I wish I had the skill to call hockey. I okay. wish I, I don't. I love now, when I you say you don't, what do you mean? It's too, it's too fast? It's yeah, for, too first hectic. of all, I, I grew up going to RPI hockey games, Mike mm-hmm. Odessa and Darren Poopa, and then when they won the national championship in 85. Uh, absolutely lifelong Boston College hockey fan, go to BC games my whole time I was there and still dabble and going back to games. Uh, you know, Jerry York, he's the Nick Saban of college hockey. Yale season ticket holder. I love hockey. And then my daughter's a diehard Rangers fan. And I find as the in-arena experience, hockey blows me away. I mm-hmm. love it. I'm not I'm not woven into the fabric of the sport. I'm right. a fan. I appreciate it. Not the way football and boxing and horse racing to me. Those are three sports I've I'm embedded in. Mm-hmm. You know, football is my whole life since I was a little kid. A football family. I had a horrible football injury. I, you know, my son's a college football player. Boxing. You know, I used to train in a gym. And I'm diehard, lifelong fan. I'd call probably. You know, as many fights as anybody, you know, I, I should, uh, who knows how many Jim Lampley's called, but I'm sure Jim Lampley and I are over 10,000 fights called in our careers. Um, and horse racing, you know, I grew up at the Saratoga racetrack and, and going to OTB with all my inveterate aunts and uncles every day of my life. So those are my three. And you were getting on me about being focused on over-unders and Please, you spent stop. your life at the OTB. Yeah, what was the double today? What did it bring back? <laughs> Not the tri
at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 